Today, we continue this significant series that I believe will help all of us gain the inner strength to thrive in life. And if you've been tracking with us, we've said that to thrive, we have to find freedom from surface issues in our lives. These surface issues, they frustrate us. These surface issues hurt our relationships and they sap our strength. And we found that to get freedom from those surface issues, to experience genuine life change in those areas, those areas we don't want in our lives, we have to address the inner issues what I call core issues that feed those surface issues. And so far in this series, we've addressed the core issue of fear, how to rise above fear. We've addressed the core issue of unhealed wounds and how to rise above your unhealed wounds. And today we're gonna continue looking at the core issue of pride. And what Jesus says will help us rise above our pride. Now, when I'm talking about pride, I'm not talking about the positive kind of pride where like you have this sense of accomplishment when you've done something significant or, or where you have a healthy sense of your own value and worth or, or where like you have pride in your nation or pride in your school. Those are all healthy forms of pride. I'm talking about the unhealthy forms of pride, like an unhealthy self-focus or an unhealthy distorted view of oneself. And we've said that this kind of unhealthy pride has four faces. There's self-absorption, where all of our thoughts and actions are focused on ourselves, not on others. There's arrogance, where we think more of ourselves than what is true. There's self-depreciation, where we think less of ourselves than what is true. And then there's self-reliance, where we seek to live independently of God and others. And, you know, I, I said to you last week that we really, we all come out of the womb with a certain sense of self-orientation. It's just natural. It's, it's just who we are as human beings. But all of us in our life journeys, we must address any unhealthy aspects of pride within us. If we don't do that, it, it can sabotage our lives. Now, pride, the unhealthy form, it's, it's normally easy to see in others, it's normally hard to see in ourselves. So often, we need significant life, uh, shocking, I call them shocking situations in life that sort of shock us into seeing any unhealthy pride within us. I'm talking about shocking situations like a significant failure in life that just forces you to notice any arrogance that you might have in your life. I'm talking about shocking situations like brutal words of truth that force you to see yourself in a way you've never seen yourself before. Have you ever had someone speak words of brutal truth to you? Well, I remember back when I was a pastor in Virginia, I had finished preaching two messages Sunday morning, and the next day on Monday, I arrived back in my office, and there was a letter there on my desk, a handwritten letter, and the letter was from a, a woman in our church named Louise. All of her friends called her Lou. Uh, she was a significant person in my life because she was the chairperson of the committee that called me to that church as its very first associate pastor, and uh, she and her husband, they were very impressive people. They ran a, a, a landscape, I mean, not a landscape, a, 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 a property development company in our area. So they were very sharp people. Anyway, I thought she left a letter to commend some part of my message from the previous day. But as I read through her letter, that's not what it was about. 
She began by acknowledging that she really appreciated my character and really appreciated my leadership, loved my family. And, but then she said something like, but Brent, I feel like I know you well enough to be honest with you. Frankly, your sermon yesterday bored me. And from that point on, the rest of her letter was just a muddled mess in my mind. My pride began to swell. I began to have all of these defensive thoughts coming into my mind. Bored you? Bored you? I mean, what do you mean bored you? I bet she doesn't even know what it means to preach good messages. I mean, did she get an A in preaching class? I got an A in preaching class. I bet she's the only one who thinks that way. Well, after I took a few cleansing breaths there at my desk, I began to reflect on her words as I read through the letter again. And you know what I, I realized? I knew enough about Lou to know that she was for me. She had always spoke encouraging words to me. I knew she wanted me to succeed, uh, not only in life, but in my ministry. I, I knew she meant well to me, but I was struggling with, with her words. So that night when I went home, I brought the letter home with me and I showed it to Barbara. And I, I asked Barbara to read through the letter. And after Barbara read the letter, I asked her, now, Barbara, I need you to be honest with me. How do you feel about my messages? Do you think they're boring? And Barbara went, well, and that's all she had to say. It was just crushing it was so shocking to me. I always had viewed myself as a good theologian and as a good communicator, but it became evident to me that I was the only one who saw myself that way. And as I began to process what was going on, I realized that I had a distorted view of myself. And my arrogance had blinded me from seeing certain signs in my ministry where I should have noticed it. It should have told me something that I wasn't as good of a communicator and preacher as I thought I was, but I was blinded to it because of my arrogance. But those brutal words of truth, they shocked me. They shocked me into seeing myself in a way I'd never seen myself before. Has anyone ever spoken brutal words of truth to you? How have you responded to those words? Have you denied them? Have you argued, argued with the person who spoke them? Have you sought to defend yourself like I was doing in my mind? Have you just you know, ignored them and, and gone off and not paid attention to them? Though those words hurt, my friend, the, the words that my friend Lou spoke into my life, though they were painful, I knew that she meant the best for me. And I, I knew that how I responded to her words could either help me become stronger or that they could cause me to remain blinded to certain aspects of pride in my life. Now, last week we looked at some scenes uh, in the life of, of one of Jesus' young protégés, Peter where Jesus spoke some, some brutal words of truth into Peter's life, trying to shock him to see the pride in his own life. And today what I want us to do is to look at the other words that Jesus spoke to Peter, because he, he not only spoke these 
you know, brutal words of truth. He also gave Peter some words of wisdom to help him rise above the pride that was surfacing in his life. And so I want us to go back and look at the same three scenes and look at what Jesus said that can help all of us rise above the core issue of pride. So the first scene occurs after Jesus has predicted that they're going to go to the city of Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be mistreated and beaten. He's going to be put to death and come back to life. And if you you remember from last week, when Jesus speaks those words, uh, something not great stirs in Peter, and, and Peter pulls Jesus aside and begins to reprimand Jesus. And then Jesus speaks these words back to Peter. And if, if you weren't here last week, this is what Jesus spoke to Peter. This is Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind God's concerns, but merely human concerns. Okay, now those are some brutal words of truth, right? Jesus calls his, his young protege Satan. Why does he do that? Because he can see that Peter's focus is not on God's concerns, but on human concerns. His, his focus is off. Peter's focus is on his own concerns. And pride occurs when our focus is off. So how do you get your focus in the right direction? How do you get your focus right? Well, Jesus continues. These are the very next words that Jesus says after he, he says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is Matthew 16, 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Okay, these are some powerful words. And it's very clear at this point that Jesus is not only speaking to Peter, he's speaking to whoever. That's whoever wants to be his disciple. And a disciple is simply someone who learns and follows some leader or teacher, and in this case, Jesus. And I want to be clear that what Jesus is talking about here is not like salvation. He's not talking about how you begin a relationship with God. Because if you remember, our relationship with God, it's a free gift based on our faith in Jesus alone. What Jesus is talking about here is clearly costly. So let's unravel what he says. First, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. So you have, you have to be a person who will deny yourself. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, my disciples must deny themselves? What's he talking about? Well, let's first make sure we understand what he's not talking about. He's not talking about thinking less of yourself or, or thinking too lowly of yourself. And he's not saying that you can never, ever think about yourself. But he is saying there's going to be times in your life where you do need to deny yourself. And in the context, when you put it together with taking up your cross, he's talking about living your purpose. Because when you choose to live your purpose, to live a life of purpose, it means living for something beyond yourself that is not about yourself. And so... There are going to be times in life, if you're going to be a person who lives a purposeful life, where God's purposes and your purposes are going to collide. There's going to be times when the self-interest that you have and the interests of others that God wants you to serve, they're going to collide. And when those collisions occur, denying yourself means choosing God's purposes, not your purposes. It means choosing the interests of others that you're there to serve, not your own self-interests. 
And then Jesus says that not only must we deny ourselves, we must also take up our cross. We take up our crosses. What does he mean by that? Well, think about what the cross was for Jesus. The cross was the point in Jesus' life where he lived his purpose. He lived uh, his calling by his Father to the point where it cost him. And from the point of Jesus' crucifixion, the cross became a metaphor for all of Jesus' followers because they remembered this conversation. And it became a metaphor for all of us to live our purpose according to God's plans for our lives, even when it costs us. He's talking about being willing to face suffering in the face of living our purpose. But there's something about that focus. When you're so focused on living your purpose that you will even make decisions that go against what's best for you, that gives you the kind of focus that allows you to rise above your pride. But why would we do that? Why would we deny ourselves? Why would we take up our crosses? Well, Jesus continues. This is verse 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Find it? Find what? According to Jesus, you'll find the life that is truly life. Remember, he's not talking about eternal life here. You receive eternal life by faith in Jesus. He's talking about the abundant life. He's talking about the kind of life you want. He's talking about the kind of life that is truly life. When we focus on living our purposes, even to the point where, where it costs us something, that's where we experience the life that is truly life. That is where we thrive in life. And from that focus, we gain the inner strength to rise above our pride. Now let's look at this a second scene I want us to look at where we, Jesus adds more pieces of, of what we need to rise above our pride. Now in this scene, if you remember, the disciples had gathered together on the last night before Jesus was arrested. They were going to celebrate the Passover meal together. And in their custom, one of the early arriving disciples should have washed their feet and then washed the other disciples' feet. But none of them would do it. None of them would take that lowly role. So Jesus stands up and he does it. And I want you to picture this scene as the disciples are leaning around a table with their feet outwards. Jesus goes around the outer edge and kneels before each disciple and washes the feet of each of his disciples until he gets to Peter. And Peter refuses to let Jesus wash his feet and gets into an argument with Jesus. But what I want us to look at today is the brutal words of truth that Jesus speaks back to Peter. This is John 18, 8, where Jesus answered Peter, Peter when Peter said, no, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And in essence, Jesus is telling Peter this. If you don't let me do this, let me kneel before you and wash your feet. You, you, you have to give up your role within my core disciples. You can't keep your part in my movement. I'm going to have to give it to someone else. But then, uh, in, in response to Peter's prideful outburst, Jesus says something else. And he does eventually wash all the disciples' feet. And then he says this, this is John 13, 12. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? 
you call me teacher and Lord. And rightly so, for that is who I am. Say, pause for a moment. So here's what Jesus is clarifying in this moment, in this conversation. He was getting clear about who he really is. As the son of God, he is their teacher, yes. He is also the Lord. He is the son of God. In other words, he was the greatest person in that room. He's the greatest person in any room ever. And notice what he says, based upon who he is. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Though Jesus is the greatest person in the room, get this, nothing is beneath him. So Jesus takes his greatness, his authority, his power, all of his roles, and he humbly kneels before his disciples and serves them. And then he casts vision to them. These men, young men, who are going to be the leaders of his movement, he says, this is my movement. These are the kind of people who are going to be a part of my movement who take their authority, their greatness, their power, their roles, and they use all that they have to humbly kneel and to serve others. Folks, beautiful things happen when people humbly kneel before others. Can you imagine what would happen? Can you imagine what would happen in our marriages if spouses knelt before each other and sought to serve each other? Can you imagine what would happen in our families if parents knelt before their children and humbly served them? Can you imagine what would happen in our workplaces if bosses and managers would kneel before their employees and humbly serve them? Can you imagine what would happen in our community if those with means used their means and humbly bowed before others and served those who were in need? Can you imagine what would happen in our country if Democrats and Republicans would humbly kneel before each other, seeking to serve each other, instead of powering up on each other, seeking to fight each other? Folks, if we got this kind of focus, the kind that Jesus is talking about, it would change our cities, it would change our families, it would change our country, it would make our world a better place. And this kind of focus takes the inner strength to rise above our pride. And that is what Jesus is after. And then there's, there's a third scene I want us to look at, and it ties everything together, where Jesus speaks something so important about how to rise above our pride. And so shortly after Jesus has washed his disciples' feet, he's spoken to them about his vision that they would set the example for all the other followers to be the kind of people who humbly kneel and serve others. Now, in this scene, this next scene, uh, Jesus speaks another word of brutal truth to Peter. And we looked at it last week. He tells all of his disciples, he says, look, later tonight, I'm going to be arrested and all of you are going to abandon me. You're all going to desert me. And if you remember, Peter said, I'll never desert you. And, and Jesus spoke back to this young protege who he loved. He said, Peter, before this night's over, before the, the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. Those must have been hard words to hear from a friend, from a mentor, from the Lord. 
Those were brutal words of truth to Peter. But those were not the only words Jesus spoke to Peter that night. Listen to what Jesus said to Peter. And, and as we look at this verse, know that uh, Jesus is going to call Peter by his birth name, Simon. Jesus gave him the nickname Peter, but Peter and Simon are the same person, okay? Same, same person. This is Luke twenty two thirty one. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat. And so here's what Jesus is doing. He's letting Peter know you're getting ready to experience one of those shocking situations that's gonna just shock you into seeing yourself in a different way. And he uses the metaphor of sifting to picture this shocking event. So what does that mean? So in Jesus' day, they sifted uh, grains like wheat to get the out, outside sh chaff off the wheat kernel so that you only kept the, the, the purity of the, the kernel within the chaff. And so the way they would do that is they'd get a big round uh, basket and they would shake the seed and toss it in the air. When they tossed, the, uh, tossed it in the air, the chaff, which was lighter, it would blow away. And so it involved, sifting involved a, a sort of a shaking and a breaking, and then a tossing, and a shaking, and a breaking, and then a tossing. And of course, as the picture suggests, nobody likes to be shaken and tossed. It can be painful. But the breaking is so important to get down to the kernel of who we really are, to rise above our pride. And so Jesus predicts that this shaking would happen. But what's so important about it is it breaks the chaff off of us. And in this context, the chaff it's the pride. It's the arrogance. It's the self-absorption that just gets blown away in the air so we can rise above our pride and become who God sees in us. And so in essence, with this metaphor, Jesus predicts that Peter will fail. But the next thing Jesus says is why I love him so much and why I am so motivated to follow him. Verse 32. But, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. But, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. Jesus' words remind us here that he is for us. He is for us even when we fail. He is for us, especially when we fail. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is for you and that he's even for you when you fail? And Jesus' words remind us here that he's praying for us. And did you know what he's praying for us? He's praying that we would have faith. And faith is an inner strength word. Because in your failure, when you can gather the faith to stand up after the failure, that is what gives you the inner strength to rise above your failure and to rise above your pride and to see yourself the way you really are, the way God sees you. And then it's that, that second part of what Jesus says, where he says, and when you have turned back, he's predicting, Peter, you're gonna fail, but you're also gonna turn back. When you have turned back, to me, strengthen your brothers. And here Jesus is pointing Peter back to his purpose. And he's in essence saying, look, Peter, you are going to fail. It's gonna happen. But I'm praying that your faith will grow. 
that your faith now will be tested and it will grow and that will give you the inner strength to return back to me, to go back to living your purpose the way I've called you to live your purpose and I want you to strengthen your brothers to help them live their purpose because they will also have failed me as well. And that is what happens. Peter rises up, he goes back and gathers with not only these disciples, but the the larger gathering of disciples, and he begins to lead this movement. He preaches the very first Christian message that is ever spoken after Jesus' resurrection, and boom, the church movement begins with, with a huge surge because Simon Peter rose up above his failure, rose up above his pride, and became the man God could see in him. He lived his purpose. And he, he rose above all of those things because he got inner strength. And he experienced the faith that gave him inner strength as he got through this season of failure. And he, he changed our world. And he made our world a better place. And so can you. If you will get to the place where you will rise above the core issue of pride. Now, when my friend Lou told me that my preaching was boring and my wife affirmed her assessment, it was hard. It was, it was shocking to me and, and it, it was very humbling and it was painful. And so I decided to see if I agreed with their assessment and I did something at that point in my, my, my life I'd never done. I got a few tapes from previous uh, messages, audio tapes, and I listened to myself preach three messages and sure enough, dang, I really was boring. I, I didn't understand how something that felt so interesting up here came out so boring here. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. I could either live in denial and just act like nothing had happened and go on. I could quit my job and my career and find some other path, you know, Or I could admit where I was. I could admit the failure and humbly lean into the pain of all that was happening and do something about it. And in those days, I remember just praying and thinking and I knew, I felt that the Lord had called me to be a pastor, to teach the scriptures, but he didn't call me to teach the scriptures in a way that was boring. And so I leaned into the pain and I reached out for some help. I called one of my professors uh, from my seminary who was a preaching professor. I told him what had happened. I sent him some of the tapes. And for the next year and a half, he began to mentor me and to help me think differently about what it means to communicate in a way that inspires people and moves people to change their lives. And ever since that day, I've sought to grow as a, to grow as a communicator. And, and by God's grace, I hope I've gotten to the place where I don't bore people when I preach. You know what I'm saying? But it all began with some brutal words of truth and how I responded to them. How have you responded to brutal words of truth? How have you responded to shocking situations like bitter failure? that have have rocked your view of yourself and your world. If you've run from them, if you've tried to numb yourself, if you've just become bitter or angry or depressed, that's not gonna help you gain inner strength. I promise you, if you will accept those words, and I'm talking about brutal words of truth, not just brutal words, not all brutal words are brutal words of truth. I'm talking about brutal words of truth, and you know it, you sense it. If you'll receive them, 
and let them break away the chaff in your life where the purity of the kernel that God sees in you surfaces. You will gain the faith, the inner strength to rise above any failure you have experienced and to rise above your pride. And you will make a difference in this life. That's my prayer for you. So let me, let, let me pray for all of us, all right? And some of you, you may be going through a season right now where you feel like you're being sifted. You feel shaken. You feel tossed. You feel broken. I, I, I hope you can just see that Jesus is for you. He is praying for you that your faith would not fail. And I pray the same. I want you to know I'm for you. City Church is for you. Where, whatever you're experiencing, we're for you. We want to see you rise up. We're praying for you. I pray that your faith would not fail. I pray that you will get through this season, whatever it is, this season of failure, this season of shock, this painful season, and I pray that it would cause your faith to grow so that you have the inner strength, not only to get through it, but to rise above it and to fulfill your purpose in life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.